Welcome to the Mothers of Misfits podcast. Join me for conversations about how to advocate for our kids in a one-size-fits-all world. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Real quick, before we get started, be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode because we have a special offer from Dynamind, so you don't want to miss out on that. Today, we are joined by Nicole Laux, and if you recognize that last name, it is because her wonderful husband came on the Mothers of Misfits podcast back in spring, and he talked us through strategies for homeschooling, which if you missed the episode, go back because it's even more relevant now as so many of us are homeschooling our kids with everything that's going on in the world. But Nicole is equally amazing. She is the chief operating officer at a company called Dynamind, and she's going to share with us in a minute more about what they do and how they're helping our kids. Nicole is committed to helping kids and families find the freedom to be successful in their own ways. And prior to working at Dynamind, she was a high school science teacher in the Texas and Arizona public school systems. She is also a mom to Scout, who is just about two years old, and Arlo, who is four months. So, Nicole, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. This is a pleasure. Absolutely. Anytime. So, for those who have not heard of Dynamind and aren't at all familiar with the work you do, can you share with us about what you're doing? Yes, absolutely. Um, Dynamind Inc. is all about how to use your instincts to improve your learning and wellness. So some of you may have heard of Colby Corp. I'm sure Emily has talked about the importance of that on this podcast as well, but we're the sister company. So Kathy Colby, our fearless leader and leader of the Colby Theory, who's been a guest on Mothers of Misfits, Mm -hmm. also created Dynamite. So we do a lot of research and development, but we also use her theory in the learning and wellness arenas in order to empower people to be their best selves in education. So making sure that they're learning in a way that works for them so that they can be successful, decreasing their stress levels, increasing their success, increasing self-efficacy, making sure that they are contributing their best selves and not being kind of stomped on and kind of into this cookie cutter, one size fits all world that we're living in right now. Yes. Yeah. And everything you're doing is more relevant now than ever because talk about stress and tension. There's so much of that going on in our families and trying to do the virtual schooling thing and going through an incredible amount of change, change that's not on our terms. Parents are feeling stressed. Kids are feeling stressed. So the work that you're doing is just so impactful for families to do just that, what you're talking about, help them to operate more according to their best ways of doing things. And let's not add to the stress of our kids by force fitting them into this one size fits all path, which doesn't even really exist. So I love that. Yeah. And, you know, there's only so much you can do without kind of knowing that this exists in this third part of the mind, which we call conation, right? Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that because you've discovered that some kids succeed in school and others do not, but the differentiator is not intelligence. So can you talk more about that? Absolutely. And it's not intelligence. And it's not even always how hard you work. 
because we have some kids that work really, really hard, even if they don't have the highest IQ or the highest grades, and they don't really achieve those highest grades. But this cognitive part of the mind, how you naturally take action when you're striving, how you learn most naturally, that's one of the biggest indicators. And what we're finding is that educators are very often, based on our research, have a fact finder follow through, which means that they're more detail and structurally oriented. They're procedural, they're going to be very specific and require very specific responses. They don't allow for quite a lot of uncertainty. So changing things up, adjusting, trying something new to see if it works, tactile approaches, those things don't really happen. And that's because the MO, uh, modus operandi of those educators are, are usually kind of in that general sphere. And that only works for a very small percentage of students, you know, like 10 to 20% of students, because they're constantly being told that their best way is not the right way, and to try this other way. But as you know, conation is not, you know, you can't change this, and you shouldn't. So requiring them to do something different than what's natural for them is really difficult, because they're not going to be successful long term doing it that way. Yeah, this makes me think of an experience I had last week. My youngest, Micah, turned five, and he's a kindergartner now. And thankfully, the teacher said, if your child has a birthday during the school day, we welcome parents to come in. You can do a craft. You can do a snack. You can read a book. And I was happy to take her up on the offer. So I went into Micah's classroom, and he loves race cars, all things Hot Wheels, cars. It's, it's just his life. So, of course, the craft was a race car. So I had cut out the night before, probably spent too much time, too much looking <laughs> at Pinterest, right? And I cut out all these pieces so that they could make these little craft paper cars. So I was passing them out. And before I even got through the whole class of students... And definitely before I could say anything about directions, this young man off to the side, he jumps up and says, I made mine. (laughs) And I thought, wow, how remarkable. You just dove right in. You didn't need to wait for anybody to tell you how to do it. You just went at it. And you were going to praise him for it, I'm sure. I was going (laughs) to praise him for it. I was so excited. Well, and again, this isn't to be hard on anybody. And and honestly, I love the teacher. I love the kindergarten teacher. But true to form, like a lot of what you've described, and you're wired similarly too to those teachers you talked about. Mm -hmm. She was saying, now, young man, sit back down, wait for instruction. You know, Micah's mama hasn't told us what to do yet. And so there was that you know, gentle and kind and loving, but really misguided instruction of that wasn't right. You shouldn't have jumped in. And then as the exercise went on, he kept making changes. So he wasn't, (laughs) he wasn't done. And he kept coming up with new and big ideas and new and big things to do. And he would voice them each time. And that was seen as disruptive by the teacher. And it, it, it can be, right? We're not talking about having total chaos or carte blanche in the classrooms. Yeah. But the trouble is she was saying, Shh, be quiet. We're not talking. This is not a free-for-all. And what you and I know is that young man communicates by talking, right? Yeah. And he was having all these ideas and he wanted to share them in the moment. And so anyways, that was just one small experience of 
a child who was just wired to be experimental, to jump right in, to talk through whatever he's doing. And the environment was at a minimum not honoring that, but likely is really saying to that child either outright or implied that that's not okay. That's not acceptable around here. The teacher, you know, who knows her MO, but based on research, we could say that maybe would be somebody who would wait to follow the rules and have this order and structure in her class and thinks of it as disrespectful to not listen and start before you're told and things like that. I'm sure that teacher loves all her students and is a wonderful teacher to many students and and tries very hard. So it's certainly not for lack of wanting and trying to meet every kid where they're at. Yeah, I think it just goes back to what you were talking about before, that there just isn't this one-size-fits-all approach. And while Mm -hmm. some kids need to wait for clear direction, others can jump right in. And that was a great time to not have to have direction. You know, I had not explicitly said there is a way to do this and I need you to wait quietly and patiently until I share that with you. That wasn't a stated rule, so it was fair game. And I think it's important that we integrate those kinds of opportunities in our classroom along with the instructional ones so that every child gets a chance to operate in that way that feels most comfortable. I mean, is that the ultimate solution here that we're building in variety of options throughout the day so that it's not perfectly catered to any one type of child, but every child can participate in a way that feels most natural for them. That's exactly right. As a teacher, you can't be taken out of your game all the time either. I mean, you have to be able to operate in a way that's natural for you while utilizing some of the strengths of your students. And and truly, you're not going to be able to every moment be able to cater specifically to every different person when you have, you know, 20 to 30 kids in the room. It'd be nice to be able to have opportunities for every different type of learner throughout the day, throughout the week. You know, it doesn't have to be every single lesson. But like you said, that was a perfect opportunity maybe where you didn't need a lot of specifics. You could jump right in. There was no stepwise process that you were sharing for them to be successful. Whereas maybe a different part of the day, there was a very specific math lesson or something where there was much more need for it to be specific or orderly, where those students who learn in that way could have made sure that it was comfortable for them. I mean, we all have to learn how to operate outside of our comfort zones at some time or another and use tips and tricks to be able to function, whether it's communicating with other people who are different than us, working in a team of diverse people and making sure that you're able to work well with others. Or, you know, sometimes we do have to do things that aren't natural for us and we have to figure out a way to do them in the most natural way possible to be successful. So it's not that we should, for each student, cater to them 100% of the time because that's unrealistic and isn't teaching them good skills for (laughs) functioning in the world. But there should be opportunities for everyone to be successful in the way that they're doing things naturally. It shouldn't be that we're always shutting that down for certain kids because what it leads to is them having very low self-efficacy. So on that note, let's talk some more about self-efficacy because you guys are really doing some great work on this concept and also how it relates to mental wellness in kids. But first, let's just do some defining here because most of us have heard of self-esteem, but self-efficacy might be a new term. 
So what is it and how does it differ from self-esteem? Yeah, self-efficacy is the belief in your abilities that you can contribute to the world. So I know I have these natural abilities and I believe that they can contribute to different situations that I can be successful using them. And that's really the cognitive part of the mind, striving. What are you doing? You know, I have these abilities that are useful. I can contribute and it will lead to more success. There is a benefit when I do things that I'm around. I feel like that's such a link back to the feeling of being a misfit because a lot of misfits feel like that's a bad thing mm-hmm. and that they don't have abilities to contribute to the world because of it. So that would be an interesting point of research as well to look at that. If you feel like you're an outsider, how does that impact your self-efficacy as well? Well, what we're seeing in our research is that individuals who have initiated in quick start and or implementer, so people who are naturally innovative, who dive right in kind of like what you were mentioning, who are also tactile and need to move around, have the physicality to be successful. Those individuals in our research so far, kind of the early look is that they have lower self-efficacy. It's it's correlated with a lower level of self-efficacy than people who are highly detailed and highly structured. And that's directly related to the fact of what's rewarded in a traditional educational environment and what not? It's hard to say for sure, but I would think like what you said with the car, when they do something amazing and remarkable using their strengths, they're not praised and they're kind of shooed away for it. Mm -hmm. And that can be very difficult. And what we know is that self-efficacy is linked to depression, which is linked to suicide or self-harm. And so what we're seeing is that certain MOs have this kind of risk for these terrible things that others wouldn't likely have because we believe that it's linked to self-efficacy, not believing that what you naturally bring, your most important thing about yourself is not really valued and truly not believing that it's valued because it hasn't been in their life so far. And kind of the difference between that and self-esteem is that I like myself. I feel good about myself. It's more affective. So we consider self-esteem as an affective feeling about yourself, whereas self-efficacy is a cognitive belief about your cognitive abilities. So parents, this is really important to catch what Nicole just said. She just said that it's possible that because of how your child was born to operate, which by the way, is a wonderful, marvelous, fantastic, unflawed thing about them, but because of that they could actually be at higher risk for mental wellness issues. That is a big deal and really scary for parents. It's incredibly scary. And I can tell you just some early data on some of the programs we're doing, one of Youth Empower Program, which we're talking about a lot right now because September is Suicide Awareness and Prevention Month. What we're seeing is when we go in and validate these kids, MOs, and share with them with the OpGig career program that they have a future doing things that are natural for them. There are careers out there that are looking for them. And we were having a conversation, I think a couple of weeks ago, where we talked about the things that people are slapped on the hand for in school is the exact same thing that people are praised for in business and other environments. If that kid would have taken just random pieces of paper and created something marvelous in a business It'd environment, be a new product or development. Exactly. (laughs) Without any instruction, because there aren't instructions always in real life, he would have been praised. And it's something we want and require from a lot of our employees. 
But in school, when you're learning to develop these skills and create a problem solving, he's told, no, you need to hold off and wait for instructions. Well, how cattywampus is that, right? So it's not creating the type of person that we're looking for. When we're telling them that there are careers out there for them that would love and need this about them, and we're validating them in person, what we're seeing is up to 40% increase in the lowest levels of self-efficacy. That's a huge percentage. And we did that in one semester. Wow. So this is absolutely something that can turn around in a short amount of time. But how do we do that? So if I'm a parent listening and saying, yes, that's exactly what's happening to my child. I see how talented and capable they are. But for some reason, they don't feel that where they are right now. Maybe that's in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's in social settings, whatever that might be. So how do we best advocate for them? How do we change that for them? Yeah, well, to the smallest degree, sitting back and not prescribing a way to do something for them, Mm -hmm. not requiring them to do something a certain way, but sharing with them the outcome that's necessary and kind of letting them develop their own way to do it themselves and let them find success that way and help them along that journey as opposed to saying, you know, hey, I need you to do it this exact way because this is how I would do it or this is how your teacher's telling you to do it. This is what you need to do. Let's figure out how you can do it and how it's going to create less stress for you and be more successful. So at the lowest level, we can all do that. Even if we don't know their MO, we can create an environment where they're free to kind of figure it out what works for them. And that doesn't always work if they've been kind of stomped on for a long time, right? And told they kind of lose out on who they are because they're told that it's no good for quite a long time. And so at a higher level, I would say making sure that they know their MO, you know, the student aptitude quiz with our nonverbal assessments, if they're older, you know, the Colby A index so that they see this objective thing about themselves and something that tells them how wonderful they are and tips and tricks for how to be successful, because it's probably not what they've been told by many people. And then using those tips and tricks and things. And then at the best level, having someone like yourself, Emily, Mm -hmm. who has been trained to work with youth, work with them, do an interpretive session, have a couple where you're, you know, working through, how can you be successful using this? What does this really mean? And a lot of it is then and initially, and you know, this is validating them because no one has told them how great they are. No one has told them. That in and of itself, you're right, is so powerful. And for anybody interested in taking those steps, really honing in on your child's incredible strengths and validating that for them and getting some coaching around that, go to mothersofmisfits.com. Check that out. We've got a tab, work with Emily, and you can see all the resources there that Nicole's talking about. But This kind of hits home for you in particular, Nicole, because your daughter, Scout, she, like we said before, is about two years old, and she is wonderfully tactile. She interacts with her world in a really physical, hands-on way, and we know that that part of her is not necessarily honored in school, particularly the older you get. Students are expected to sit for longer periods of time. Things go from experiential learning to book learning or lectures. So you're living this. What are you doing to position Scout for success in a world that doesn't necessarily completely understand her? 
you know, that's a a really good question. And it's a a work in progress. I have to say, even knowing all this, you have to figure out what works and each kid is so different. And yes, Scout is very tactile, needs physicality, needs to be moving around, and is also pretty detail oriented. So needs some justification (laughs) and specifics. So one of the things that we're doing is we've found a school environment that is really conducive to that kind of learning. That's really great. You don't have to sit in a circle and have your hands in your lap the entire time. You're not doing the exact same thing every single day. You get to choose your environment. There's a lot of outdoor time. You're learning and experiencing potting plants and gardening and being outside. We chose a school that has farm animals. Awesome. <laughs> you know, yeah. so they can feed the chickens. There's a rooster that greets her. You know, we, we looked at tons of schools, like probably like 15 and she's a toddler. We automatically mixed out schools where all the rooms had no windows. Mm. That's not going to work for her. Then there was not really a lot of outdoor time where they didn't spend any time playing other than their 30 minutes of recess. Well, we nixed that. Why can't they go sit on a table outside and work mm. or on the ground outside and work? You know, so trying to have an environment where daily she's able to do things that really work for her. That was one of the biggest things as she's getting older. And I think it's going to be hard for us because we're going to have to continually reevaluate as she gets older, like you said, because there are some things that, you know, public schools or other schools that don't really allow for a lot of that. So that's one of the things that we've done. And it's been really helpful. So looking at the school environment of your kids, and it might not work for all your kids. Mm-hmm. Maybe you have to look at some different schools and that can be hard or different classes or what's the MO of the teacher. We gave our teacher the Colby index and is very tactile as well. And we actually thought maybe that might be the case when we met her because we first sat in an office and she was trying to describe what they were doing. And it was just rough for her. You could tell it was just, she was not in her element. She was okay, let me just show you. So we go into her class and oh man, she just comes live. She's picking up this. This is the thing that she's doing here. This is you know, this is where they eat their meal. This is their, their works, you know, in Montessori, they're called works, you know, all this different stuff and touching and being in the environment. She was able to be so articulate with, you know, what the kids would learn, develop and things like that. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is perfect. So finding a role model, you know, we're so lucky in that both my husband's dad and my mom are initiating implementers, meaning they're they're both very tactile. They're, they have very different OMOs other than that, but they are both very tactile. So it's so funny when they get together, they hug each other. They're, they're so sweet. They, they talk about fabric <laughs> together and you know all that stuff. But Scout has really good role models for this kind of tactile approach. And they both do different things. Strong's dad does woodworking and really hands-on kind of machinery, makes musical instruments. And my mom does gardening, sewing, loves cooking. She's always outside planning or swimming or doing something. And so she has these two people. And so we can see how to help praise her for using these strengths. But we're so lucky that there are people in her life who help her along the way and can kind of share tips and tricks, kind of like in a mentor relationship. Yeah, there's so many good things that you said in there. And I'd, I'd love to touch on all of them again. <laughs> but I I really respond to this idea of make sure that you're finding opportunities to give your kids outlets for those wonderful talents that they have outside of the classroom setting 
and then also praising them for it and having relationships where they can bond over that piece of them. Because, you know, let's face it, we can't control what's going on in the classroom all the time, nor do we want to or should. We respect the teachers are doing great work, but it may not be, you know, a place that your child can be 100% the way they do things all of the time. But we can mm-hmm. control our home environment. And we can give them those positive outlets that do validate their great strengths and those relationships where they can bond over these ways of doing things and contributing to the world. And that's where I think we can preserve that self-efficacy in our kids, particularly the ones that just we know are going to face those headwinds as they move through their educational experience. So I love that. That's easy to do, too. I mean, that's That's stuff that we as parents can control, we can do, but the effect is huge. Absolutely. And there are things that, you know, your kids, especially as they get older, but sharing with them this and giving them tips and tricks, they, they can be empowered themselves. There are some very simple things, especially for kids who their talents are not really utilized in the school environment on a daily basis, generally, you know, joining a team or something or some sort of club. But also there are small things like having a fidget, kicking something underneath your desk that doesn't make noise, not probably during COVID, but you could ask your teacher to, you know, can I stand in the back of the class with a clipboard? These are things that I would say 99% of teachers would go for and even maybe suggest that there are very simple adjustments that you can make that would make it a lot easier. And that that's another point. Let's engage the teachers in the conversation. We know how much they care about our kids. We know how much they want our kids to succeed. And if this is one more resource and that, you know, hopefully should make their jobs easier, right? We're not trying to make more work. We're really just trying to make it work for everybody. Nicole, thank you for coming on and sharing so much wisdom with us and really fleshing out that concept of self-efficacy and why it's so critical for us to understand about our kids and foster that even from earliest ages possible. And, you know, we just covered so much ground in these practical strategies for just really getting our kids in that sweet spot. So thanks again. Just appreciate you coming on. So before we sign off, I want to talk more about that special offer from Dynamind that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode. When you go to mothersofmisfits.com and sign up for the strengths assessment and coaching for your child 10 years and older, then you will also receive a free how to reduce your stress report for your child. And this resource is awesome. It's going to really give you practical strategies for doing a lot of the things that we've talked about in this whole conversation which is making things easier and more natural for your child, both in school and in life. So be sure to do that because it's only available for the first 20 people. Again, go to mothersofmisfits.com, work with Emily tab, book the strengths assessment and coaching for your kids 10 and up, and you get that free report. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Mothers of Misfits podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. We also invite you to visit us at mothersofmisfits.com.